0: Can I just tell you that you all look really good this morning? You all oh, thank you. And you need to pray and confess right now for not telling the truth. You see. Thank you, Sid. You're a good man. I I'll pay you afterwards, right? Oh, no. <laughs> you do, you look really good. Y'all you know I didn't um I didn't see an offensive one in a bunch this morning when you came in. Um, I say that several years ago, uh, Carolyn and I made the acquaintance of some folks in our church. Some really good folks who had a friend that they went to school with. They all went to Cedarville College together. Some of you have heard of that school in Cedarville, Ohio. Um, they all went to school together. This friend of theirs, this friend of ours, this family of our, a friend of our families, had a friend from Alaska. Had gone to school together at Cedarville, but this fellow was raised, born, and raised in Alaska. And to say that he was an outdoorsman is an understatement. He, is the outdoors, he was an outdoorsman in the kind of, um, in the kind of way that you, you kind of could see the outdoors coming when he came, in a way. Um, he was an interesting person, um, a godly man, but different, too. Uh, we met him one time, and he had been with his friends uh, at their farm for a week. He came from Alaska and just showed up and said, I'm here to visit I haven't seen you guys in forever, these friends of ours. And he came and stayed with them and brought nothing with him. No clothing or anything. Just showed up and said, I'm here for a week to help. And he helped on their farm. They had a farm. They had some horses. And he cleaned stalls all week and helped on their farm and did all kinds of things, the normal farm stuff, you know. Same change of clothes all week. They offered him something. No, no, that's all right. I'm okay. That's That was him. He was an unusual character, you know. Sunday came and he says, I'm going to church with you. And they said, you want a shirt and a pair of slacks or something? Said, no, I'm good. I'm just, he took his shirt off and turned it inside out. <laughs> I'm serious. This was his way of dressing up. And he came to church like that. And I met him. I was like, hello, you know. Like, um, interesting individual. I, you guys cleaned up pretty good today. All right? And we do that for one another in a way, don't we? We do, 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 do it for ourselves, you know, because I don't want to smell myself. You don't want to smell me either. But we clean up, don't we? And we put on clean clothes. That's important. We kind of take dirty clothes off after we've been working in the barn all week, so to speak. And I change my clothes every day. I suppose you do too. Sometimes a couple of times, depending on what I'm doing, Right? A couple of weeks ago, I think I told some of you about this, a couple of weeks ago I was sitting there at my computer studying away and I look up and my two youngest boys came in, they're not here right now, I think they're down in junior church, they came in, I wish I'd have thought to bring their pictures, um, they were filthy, filthy, it was, you know, it hadn't rained here in forever, it hadn't rained until this morning in several weeks and they had been out playing in the dirt and they were caked in dirt, head to toe, literally, dirt all over their shirts, their faces all over, filthy, I got my camera really quick and said, "Stop! I want to take your picture." You know, took pictures. That's how I've matured as a parent. You know, they're my young, they're my youngest ones. As my own. if it had been Kevin or Taylor when they were that size, I'd have probably blown up. You know, what are you doing? You're filthy. You know, I, now it's like, eh, oh whatever. Take their picture. Go see your mom. <laughs> Mom was what in the world? Get those filthy clothes off! Get those clothes off and get in the bathtub right now! You know, it's like, good. You know, I didn't have to yell at him. She didn't yell at him either. But she, you know, a mom's like, get those filthy! You're filthy! You can't come to the table like that, kids. You know, they they don't clean up unless you ask them to. But as you grow and mature, you start doing that on your own, right? You start cleaning up your your exterior a little bit. You become aware of things that need to be clean, you know, and and the, the fact that you need to have clean clothes on when you go out or go someplace so that you don't offend people. We're going there, Sid. You hear what Sid said? You got to clean up inside. Thanks, Sid. I let you speak. This is great. You guys could write this for me. That's be even better. You know, after a hard day of work, we clean up, don't we? We get rid of those old, dirty clothes and cast them aside, right? We have a laundry room, and we take our clothing to the laundry room. Some of you have clothes, hampers, things like that, right? You get rid of those dirty clothes. You take them off, and you get rid of them. You clean up. You don't just hop in bed in your dirty clothes, do you? You don't, do you? I don't think you do. I'm going to guess that you don't. I don't. You don't. I don't think you do. Sometimes I've had to correct my kids for doing that. and say, guys, don't go to bed in your clothes. You don't put your pajamas on. You gotta change your clothes. You've got to clean up just a little bit before you get get in bed for the night. But after a hard day's work, common sense says, clean up. Right? Get rid of those filthy rags you're wearing. Go get in the shower. Clean up and present yourself decently and in order. Right? Let's go to Colossians 3.8 this morning. I want to take you to Colossians 3.8 where we see the spiritual image like that. Physical image that we... That we clean up in our in our physical lives, and we cast off those filthy clothes when we get dirty after working hard, right? I want you to see the scriptural picture of that, the 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 spiritual image of that likeness that Sid alluded to. Clean up the inside. Colossians chapter three, verse eight. As we continue in our series in Colossians this morning, I want to take you to verse eight. And I've been, you notice, notice—I've stopped and slow down here and just taking one verse at a time for a couple of weeks because I, I think sometimes we tend to gloss over some of these things in our lives and God's people can't afford to do that, okay? So I hope you don't mind me slowing down for a bit and taking one verse at a time and emphasizing these things because these are important and these are some of the most basic things that we've got to clean up in our lives as believers to be properly presented to the world for God's glory, for Jesus' sake. Let's look at Colossians 3.8 this morning where it says this, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, i will just stop at the first part of that verse for a moment. But now you must put them all away. The Greek word translated, we translate it in English, put them all away. There's one Greek word, or put off in the King James Version, it's a word that conveys the meaning of taking off clothing, taking off dirty clothing, filthy clothing, and casting it aside and getting rid of it and putting on some clean clothing. It's that that image in the Greek. Imagine if I spent all day yesterday working in the yard and got my clothing all dirty. It was a hot day yesterday. It was dry. Just imagine being out and working in that, being all filthy. And then I came in this morning dressed like that you would you would think uh, what happened to pastor? where did he you know what's he been doing this week that he he got sunstroke or something and he's lost his mind right how inappropriate would that be for me to come in all filthy this morning and and present myself like that well that friend of our friends you know i i remember his presence being fairly offensive that morning in church but we welcomed him he was a brother in christ and he worshiped with us even if we had a little bit of a difficulty with his presence it was a little bit offensive. And that was that's the way I would be if I had not cleaned up today after working outdoors. I didn't work outdoors all day yesterday. But if I had and come here filthy, that would have been offensive to you, right? And I, I have a feeling that some of you would have looked at me kind of funny. And that would have been deserved. Well, most of us don't just grab dirty clothes out of the laundry pile either, do we? It always concerns me when I see my kids pick up a piece of clothing and go, You know, it's like... If you have to smell it, don't wear it. You know, Just put it back in the laundry room, okay? If you're not sure, let's just try again. Put it aside. But we don't usually go to the hamper and get out something and go, eh, this looks better than what I was thinking. This is all right. I'll put this on. We don't do that, do we? We don't go to the laundry room unless there's an, an emergency every once in a while. That might happen. You might go and see if I can find something that's halfway clean because I forgot to do the laundry the other day. What do we do? We go to the dresser, right? We open those dresser drawers and look for clean clothing. We go to the closet, look for clean clothing, put on something fresh and presentable. I I want you to see here in the Scripture, that's the same picture that we get from this passage here in Colossians chapter 3, and that's what we as believers need to be doing in our walk with Christ. We need to be casting off those sins of the old nature, those filthy rags of the old nature. We need to be done with them. And we need to be clothing ourselves in Christ's righteousness. We ought not be running around in filthy, sinful garments as God's children, should we? You know that we shouldn't. We need to put off the sins that marked our lives before Christ. I often encourage you that when you're witnessing to unbelievers that you don't make a big deal of them changing their lives before they come to Christ. To change everything in their life and get their lives cleaned up before they come to Christ. Because Jesus Christ does that regeneration in them. When Jesus Christ comes into a person's life, He begins to make them new. He gives them a new nature. And then He begins to work out that new nature in them. And then there becomes no room in their lives for those old things. Those things of the old nature. That's... True of us as believers, it ought to be true of us as believers that we are day by day, there's becoming no room in our lives for those old things, those old filthy garments of the sinful past. We need to put off the sins that marked our lives and marred our lives and made us offensive to Christ before Christ, put them off. And verse 5 says, back up with me for a moment to verse 5 in Colossians 3, where it says that we, you need to put to death the earthly in you. You need to cast them aside like filthy garments. You need to put to death the earthly in you. When stuff dies, it doesn't come back, does it? You know, we need to put to death the earthly things. That's the same picture we get here in Colossians 3. Last week in our study, we saw how the Colossian believers used to walk in sin, right? And we considered how they walked in the past tense. How it was their walk. It was a former way of walking. And they no longer walk in sin because they had been saved and cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. It was a work that Jesus Christ had done in them, giving them a new walk. No more in the old walk. They're now in the new walk, walking with Christ. You know, as believers, we need to be serious about putting sinful behavior behind us. We need to be serious about casting sinful behavior out of our lives and being done with it. Casting off like casting off dirty and filthy clothing until they come back clean, casting them off and being done with them. As we look at Colossians three eight this morning, I want you to see some very specific sins that should have no part in the life of the believer. I want to slow down and, and look at these because sometimes, like I said earlier, we tend to gloss over them and we begin to make room for them in our lives by giving giving excuses for their for their residence. And we shouldn't be given any excuses to these sins for residing in our lives. Let's look at the Scriptures again this morning. We're going to note five specific sins here. You saw them as I read the verse earlier that we need to rid our lives of. Our old walk before Christ was characterized by sin. That's not how our new walk should be characterized. In our new walk as believers, we need to cast off the filthy soiled garments of sin. Verse 8, again, look at it with me again. But now you must put them all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk these are all sins that Paul names that the Colossian believers he challenges the Colossian believers to get these things out of your life. They should not be characteristic of followers of Jesus Christ. This applies to us today. This is for the church today. Just as much as it was for the Colossian believers then, God gave these words to us. These are for us today. Let me talk about anger for a moment because this is this is one that easily creeps into our lives, isn't it? And I know from experience it does. It easily creeps into our lives. Anger has been described as a deep, Hateful, smoldering, resentment, and bitterness. Does that pretty much characterize it? Anger. A deep, hateful, smoldering, resentment, and bitterness. Anger is not to be part of the believer's life. Now I can just, I know somebody's thinking, but, but, but wait a minute, <laughs> Ephesians 4.26, be angry and not sin. What about that one? I'm glad you asked. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I, wanted to, I want to show you some Scriptures that counter that thought. Because if we're not careful, we use that passage to, to make sinful anger, righteous anger, when it shouldn't be. Because the overwhelming evidence that I find in Scripture is that generally, most normally, usually, anger is sin. Almost always, I would say that almost always anger is sin. There might be times in your life when you see something going on in this society and your blood boils because that is just not right. And you want want to see something done about it. You might say that that's a righteous anger. But there's a fine line between righteous anger and sinful anger. And I want to show you that the Bible again and again and again talks about anger and presents it in a negative way. So let's be careful about this. I want to show you a few passages this morning. Quickly, you don't have to look these up, just listen to them. Listen to a number of these types of warnings that we find against anger. Against anger in God's Word. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Let's not be foolish in thinking that we can leave anger in our lives without... Addressing it as sin and saying, Lord help me to get anger out of my life and be Christ honoring in my response to every situation. You can't allow anger to reside and kindle a fire in you. Proverbs nineteen eleven says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Psalm thirty seven verse eighty eight says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Proverbs 29, verse 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Do you see what I mean when I say that there's no place for for anger to reside in the believer's life because it will Kindle a fire that you can't put out. James one nineteen and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. you realize that anger can be like a blight in your life, ruining your spiritual life, ruining your relationship with Christ, ruining your relationship with others? God's people should not be known for their anger. Uh, You've known some, and I've known some, and maybe we were some of them at times, but we've all probably known Christian people who were known for being angry. That should not be. We should not be known for our anger. What we should be known for is our temperance and self-control. Let's move on. What about wrath? Much like anger, Warren Wiersbe notes that wrath refers to the sudden outburst of anger. John MacArthur notes that the Greeks likened it to a fire in straw, which flares up briefly and is gone. It's used to speak of those in the synagogue of Nazareth who exploded in anger upon hearing Jesus' teachings. It is used similarly of the Ephesian craftsman's anger over Paul's preaching. It is one of the deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5:20, and is not acceptable behavior for Christians. Let me just ask you to do a little self-examination this morning on your own heart and life. You find anger is a frequent visitor in your week. Maybe it's not every week. Maybe it's not all week. Do you find anger is a frequent visitor in your life and it comes out of nowhere and you can't seem to control it? If you find you're continually getting angry and you need to get the anger out of your life, you need to ask God to help you overcome the anger in your life. You need to confess it for the sin that it is and ask for the Holy Spirit's working presence to overcome that sin in your life. You know, if you're hot-tempered, if you're given to outbursts of anger, you need to get that out of your life. God's people should not be known for their anger. A lady uh, once came to Billy Sunday and tried to rationalize her angry outburst to him. She said, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with me losing my temper. I, I, I just blow up and then it's all over. And Billy Sunday says, so does a shotgun. So does a shotgun, and look at the damage that it does, right? I think that's a good illustration. I was thinking about hand grenades. Think about hand grenades, right? Anger is like a hand grenade. does all kinds of damage. And it's over. Anger and wrath are terribly damaging to our own spiritual lives. That ought to be preeminent in your thinking, first of all. Anger is terribly damaging to your own spiritual life, damaging to your family, terribly damaging to your family, Terribly damaging to those that you deal with in your neighborhood, in the workplace, in the, business, in, in the business world. Terribly damaging to the church in the life of the believer. And when it resides in God's church, anger can tear churches apart. And if it doesn't tear it apart, it will stunt its growth and ruin its, its effectiveness in, this, in the community for Jesus Christ. Anger, worst of all, harms the name of Jesus Christ. Anger, worst of all, ruins your testimony for Jesus Christ, to to glorify Jesus Christ for who He is when anger is present in our lives and rules us and is characteristic of our lives. Paul also warns that believers ought to rid their lives of malice. Malice. J.B. Lightfoot defines malice as the vicious nature which is bent on doing harm to others. You know what? That sounds like it goes with anger. Kind of sounds like it goes with wrath, doesn't it? That's because it does. Malice. The vicious nature which is bent on doing harm to others. Wearsby says, Malice is an attitude of ill will toward a person. If you have malice toward a person, we are sad when he is successful and we rejoice when he has trouble. You ever find yourself there? So it goes like this. So if we bear malice toward another individual, instead of rejoicing with them when they rejoice and weeping with them when we re- when they weep, that's malice. You know, it, it's like if if you just get some subtle enjoyment from others having difficulties. You ever find yourself doing that? I hope not, but that happens to us. It, does, it creeps up on us at times to think, well, you know, they they kind of had that coming to them. They kind of had that coming to them. And that's you know. Or when something good happens to them and you go, How come that always happens to them? How come they always get the good stuff? How come that never happens to me? Right? That's malice. When something goes wrong for others and we figure that, well, they just had it coming or, you know, that's all right. It wasn't me. At least it was him and not me. We need to be careful with that. That's malice or when we're, we're happy when troubles come to others, or we're unhappy when good things come to others. You know, there's a connection between letting our anger get out of control and becoming malicious, letting malice rule our thinking. And as we let anger build toward a person, we're going to be wishing them ill and not well, aren't we? As we let anger build up and boil in our hearts and minds and lives, what happens is we find malice is also a welcome visitor. And it should not be. The passage we noted earlier on anger mentions how it's a glory to overlook an offense, isn't it? What is it? Proverbs 19, verse 11. And it is His glory to overlook an offense. The good good sense makes one slow to anger. Oh, how we need to put on that that kind of forgiveness. That kind of an attitude that's quick to overlook the offenses of others. You know, when we're offended by someone else, We tend to get angry when we allow ourselves to be offended, right? You know, there's a difference. You can allow yourself to be offended. Oh, boy, that was wrong, you know, and I I ought to be mad about that. I think I'm going to be mad about that. You get angry, right? And it builds up and boils and bubbles and it gets easier next time. When we're offended by someone, we can become angry. We can allow that stuff to stir and make a mess in our heart. And we tend to believe that our anger is justified and we let our anger build and that anger unchecked can lead to malice. Ill will toward others. Ill feelings toward others. And from that malicious spirit comes the next sin I want you to look at that Paul talks about that we need to cast off and put to death as followers of Christ. And that's slander. That leads to slander, doesn't it? You know I'm right. The malice can lead to slander. If we feel malice toward somebody else, we're going to have nothing good to say about them. Are we if you're feeling angry towards someone and you're and you're just kind of your wrath is bubbling up and you're starting to get malicious toward them in your thinking, and sometimes your speech turns that way, and you start to slander them you know instead of using words that are going to encourage and build them up, you talk about them in ways that tear them down or destroy them, and if you don't do it to their face, you do it really well to others and you say bad things about them, things that tear them down in the eyes of others, and we'll have nothing good to say about them but We won't hesitate to to share our displeasure with others over their mistreatment of us or the way that they said such and such. You know, we don't do this to their face often. We don't do this in the faces of others. That's why it's so destructive. We don't go to someone and share our concern with them face to face. We tend to go to other people and slander those who have done something to offend us. We don't do that to their face. We share it with others, how irritated we are with them, and how displeased we are, and how rotten they are. And we have a critical spirit, and we voice that to others. And we assassinate that other person's character. That's slander. I have to tell you, be careful. Be careful here, because this can be very subtle. You can think, well, I don't do that. I'm very careful not to talk about others. It can be very subtle. Sometimes we do this in a very self-righteous way. You know, we're, we use words like concern. I just wanted you to know about so-and-so because I'm really concerned for them. And as a matter of fact, I thought you could pray better for them if you were more well-informed about this concern that I have. And so then you have qualified that, and then you can unload, right? We need to be very careful because this, this subtly sneaks into our spiritual lives, doesn't it? We can think that we're being very spiritual and holy and say, let me just share this burden with you about so-and-so because I think you need to be able to pray more effectively for them. Be careful. I'm not saying don't pray for people. I had a prayer request this morning. Somebody said, pray for so-and-so. I can't talk about the situation. I said, praise God, I'll pray for them. God knows about it, Right? I can't talk about it. Pray for so-and-so. We need to do that, don't we? We need, to, we need to be careful that we don't make little of others, that we don't slander others by our concern, by our burden, right? When we mask those as prayer requests. We do dishonor to prayer, to the name of Christ. You know, if, let me just make this point clear. If you, if you really care about someone, you're going to first of all want to pray for them. If someone has done something that might lead you to anger, and yet you instead say, I'm not going to get angry about that. I'm going to overlook an offense. I'm going to pray for them. That would be the appropriate response. And that's where we need to go, isn't it? We need to cast off the anger and the slander and the resentment and the wrath. And what we need to do is respond by being careful and quick to forgive others who do things that that would make us angry if we let it, and pray for them. Because if you truly love God as you should, and you truly love people as you should, you're going to be quick to go to prayer for people that you love. You're going to pray for their needs and concerns and spiritual concerns. And then, after you've prayed for them, and you've asked God to help you to have the right attitude, then if you need to, if it's something you cannot overlook, then you go to that person face to face and you'll speak to that person one to one and lovingly share your concern with them and offer to pray with them and offer to assist them and help them. But when you run others down and when I run others down, when we do this, when we allow this kind of an attitude to creep into our lives as believers, we're, we're speaking ill of someone. And we're doing them no good at all. We're doing them great harm and we're doing ourselves great harm. So slander has no part in the life of a believer. Last but not least, Paul talks about obscene talk. Paul tells believers to put off, to get rid of, to cast aside obscene talk. Wiersbe says, filthy communication or obscene talk is just that, foul speech coarse humor, obscene language. For some reason, some Christians think this is manly or contemporary to use this kind of speech. Low humor sometimes creeps into conversations. Now, I know Warren Wiersbe wrote that many years ago, and it has gotten worse since he wrote that. It it shocks me that some believers in this world think it's cool, I guess, and, and manly to use some pretty obscene language and that ought not be characteristic of the life of a believer. Now, lest we think that well, you know, I'm okay, I don't use the opposite language. Let's make sure we check our own spirits, make sure that our language that we use is Christ-honoring. I want you to listen to what Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4. He says, "Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking." which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Your speech ought to be characteristic of a person who is a thankful person. What happens when you're a thankful person? Pleasant things come out of your mouth, don't they? When I hear people who are thankful, and I've heard a lot of thankful people this week who have come to me and thanks me and thanked others for the work that went on in vacation Bible school and all that you did. They were a lot of thankful people, and when they were thankful, what happened, they came and they were very gracious and kind and generous with their words. That ought to be true of us as followers of Christ. We ought to be a people who are quickly giving thanks, not quick to be coarse in our speech, crude in joking, being out of place, being out of line we had better make sure that all of our speech could be called Christ-honoring speech. We had better better be careful that the things that we say, the things that we think, and the things that we allow to come out of our mouths are truly Christ-honoring. Build people up, build up the cause of Christ, and glorify God. How are you walking this morning? How are you walking this morning? talking about some negative things here, aren't we? I don't uh, look forward to times when we come together and I just go, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. We need to be careful that we, don't, that we don't do that ourselves to the world who needs Christ. We need to show them Christ and allow Jesus Christ to change their lives. I want to pray with you in a few moments and ask God to do a work in your hearts and your minds. I hope you'll pray for me, asking the same, that God will work in my heart and my mind, making, making my life a reflection of Christ, making your life a reflection of Christ. But we've got to to be careful. If we don't rid ourselves of these sins, of these kinds of things that Paul makes mention of and many other things, if we don't rid our lives of these, we will be an offense to the cause of Christ. We will cause great harm to the ministry of Jesus Christ in this community. Are you turning people away from Christ with the offensive odor of your old nature? You know? Are you turning people away from Christ? That's my question. Think about your own heart, your own life, your own attitude, your own speech, your words. Do those things turn people away to Christ or do they turn them to Christ? You know, in a couple of weeks we're going to look at some things that ought to take place, take the place of these sins. The put-offs, these are the put-offs. We're going to talk about the put-ons. When you put some things out of your life, there ought to be some things that come in and take their place, right? When you change your clothes, you get rid of your filthy rags, you put something on in its place, right? And that ought to be true of us as believers. we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But Paul emphasized to the Colossian believers that they ought to be getting rid of some things. you ought to be getting getting rid of some things from your old sinful nature getting rid of some things that don't glorify God. You and I both need to pray about this and think about our own spiritual lives in this way. These are the put-offs that Paul emphasized to these Colossian believers, and we do very well to take note of the serious nature of these when we allow them to take up residence in our lives and we don't kick them out and be done with them. It's possible that we've slowly grown accustomed to these and justified them and given very little attention to them. And so I bring them to your attention again this morning as followers of Christ as a people who are I trust you're serious about following Jesus Christ with your life that you want to get serious about ridding your life of things that dishonor God and bring great shame to the name of Jesus Christ when we allow them to take root in our lives and stay put there's something else I want to talk about just before we finish this morning if if we don't rid our of these sins. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. We talked about others earlier in this passage in Colossians 3. If we don't rid our lives of these things, I want you to remember that first and foremost, you do great harm to your relationship, your relationship with Jesus Christ. You ought to be making your personal relationship with Jesus Christ your, your first priority. Because when your relationship with Jesus Christ is Proper and right, and unhindered by sins like these that take up residence, the fellowship that you have with Christ will be sweet. The direction that He gives you to serve Him will be clear. And your life will be a powerful witness to to unbelievers. If we don't rid these things of our lives, we are not going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. We're not going to have proper relationship with, with Jesus Christ as we should have. We're not going to have the proper fellowship that we should have. We do great harm to ourselves. Don't harm yourself. Don't harm your relationship with Christ by allowing these sins to take root and take up residence. A couple of weeks ago, I was privileged to meet Joe Stoll, the former president of Moody Bible Institute. I got a call from his assistant, and they said he was going to be vacationing at Higgins Lake and needed to use a phone, a landline phone, to make a call in to the to the Moody radio station. And I said, absolutely, send him over. I'll let him use my phone. And I got to meet Joe Stoll. I've gone to the pastor's conferences at Moody for several years and never got to meet him because there's always a thousand guys there who want to talk to him. He came and gave me a couple of his books and signed them, and that was pretty neat. I talked to him for about five minutes. In one of the books that he gave me, um, a fairly new book, he's written called Simply Jesus and You, he says this, Keeping clear ledgers in our lives is basic to experiencing Christ. As long as there is residual sin in our hearts, there will always be distance. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Matthew 5.8. And the tenses in that pronouncement are not futuristic, but present. In other words, if you are not pure in heart today, don't count on experiencing Christ in a compelling way. It's really not complicated if there's bitterness, unresolved anger, sensual thoughts and actions, pride, uh, untruthfulness, or slander and gossip in your vocabulary, you're going to feel the distance. Jesus doesn't meet us on those playing fields. He'll meet us there to pull us out of the ditch of our own ways, but He won't stay there with us. So I remind you this morning, I want to challenge you this morning to take a close inventory of your own spiritual lives. Make sure that you're keeping as Joe Stool says, a clear ledger, keeping a short account with Christ, making sure that you confess sin when it appears, casting it off, asking for the help of Jesus Christ in your life to be godly in the way that you live and speak and treat others. Children of God, this morning I want to address those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's confess our sins. Let's keep the, the, the ledgers clear, Yes? Let's keep these accounts short with the Lord. Let's get rid of these sins. Let's do so and bring great glory to God. Let's do so and have a powerful witness for the change that can take take, the place, it take place in a person's life when they give themselves to Christ. Let's put on Christ-honoring speech. Let's get rid of anger and wrath and malice. Yes? Let's put on a Christ. Let's be Christ-like. Let's pray and ask for his help this morning. Father in heaven, we do need your help. I know that I constantly need your help, your strength, your wisdom. And so, Lord, as I pray, I pray for myself. First, I pray that you would do a work in my own heart and in mind and soul in helping me be Christ-like in my actions, in my words, in my thoughts. Lord, help me to not be an angry person. Lord, help me to not be a person who bears malice toward others and is one who is uh, showing wrath and unkindness. Lord, help me to be quick to forgive. Lord, I pray that my speech would be that which is honoring to you at all times. Lord, I pray this for your people too. I pray that your people would have this desire this morning to be people who are putting on Christ and putting off the old nature. Help us, Lord, to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Lord, help us to glorify you in all that we do and say. Lord, we want to win others to Christ. We want others to know you and to enjoy a personal relationship with you. So, Lord, help us to bear fruit, beginning in our own hearts and lives by casting off the sins of the old nature and putting on the new nature and walking with you. Father, we thank you for the filling of the Holy Spirit that you've given us because we are your children. When we have trusted Christ and we've given our hearts and souls to you, we trust you as Lord and Savior. You give us your Holy Spirit. And to know that we have that power working within gives us great hope. Lord, work a work in our hearts and lives. Help us to be glorifying to you in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.